Oh, it's just the guys today. It's unfortunate. I'm slightly jealous of Rebecca staying home to take a nap. Well, you could take a nap. Uh, Matt and I can do this. I mean, I I don't know what it is, but I am incredibly tired today. That seems terrifying. Dude, this morning, so we're recording this. This morning was rough. On the Monday post. It's Pi Day. Time change. Yeah, it is Pi Day. It is Pi Day. Um, And today, today was... Oh my gosh. Muy difficile. My alarm went off at six and I closed my eyes for what I thought was a second and I opened them again. It was like 6.45 and I was like, ah, (laughs) stupid second. Yeah, it was, uh, it was something zero out of 10 stars would not recommend. Do both of your guys' estates do daylight savings, right? Oh, of course. And the thing is, I I'm a I'm a defender of daylight savings. I totally understand why we do it. I'm I'm okay with it. Can, do you? Because can you explain it to me? Because I still don't. I've heard about five thousand stories. So the real the reason we do it, like in general, has to do with power consumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does not have anything to do with farmers. That's, that's a bullshit myth. But during uh. No, but it does have to do with an entomologist that wanted to be able to collect bugs after work. <sighs> so, <laughs> the power the power companies, because you would be outside, you wouldn't go in your house after, you know, you'd, you'd chill outside, because that's how people used to be in America. And so, you wouldn't use the inside lights, you wouldn't use the inside cooling as much, you would stay outside and enjoy the outdoors later into the evening which would put off some of the cost. So that was the idea behind it. Um, it stuck around because people really like nine o'clock sunsets up here. Yeah. You know, they're, they're pretty nice. So you have light until 10 o'clock. Like you can actually be outside and not be blind until 10. That, that That's really nice. Yeah. The reason we don't switch it. The reason we keep switching and not just stay on daylight savings is again, because of us up North specifically, in the winter, there there's a, a time when we have eight o'clock sunrises outside of daylight savings. So if we were in daylight savings, there would be nine o'clock sunrises. Mm. And that is that would be difficult for people. Yeah. So because we like the late sun and because we don't like nine o'clock sunrises, we go back and forth. Now you can make an argument like I've heard all the arguments that it's bad and I, I totally get it. Like it's not fun. This, this has been a, a really rough time change. Like I'm tired. I didn't plan for this. Like, you know, it's been difficult, but in general, I understand why we do it. Even if I don't necessarily love that we do it sometimes. Yeah. If we were going to switch it though, I think standard time is what we should go with. I don't, I love, I cannot tell you how much I love having that extra light in the summer. Nope. It's the best. And, and... What's standard time? Are we in standard time now? No, now you're in daylight time. So this is PDT. Yes. And Caleb, I really, really, really hate um, the sun coming up at five in the morning. Like, that is a that is a no-go for me. Yeah. I love late sun. I'm, I would much rather have the sun, even, I think 6.15 is like our earliest sunrise and then like a 902 903 sunset i'm okay with that so if we're gonna stay i'd rather stay on daylight time but i mean i just don't like the number more kids that get killed at bus stops whenever 
you've switched to uh, daylight time year round. Well, but the thing is, up here, it's still dark, uh, at least for a little bit of time. That's why it's illegal to switch your state to daylight time year round. You can go to standard time year round, but if you want to switch to daylight time year round, you've got to get an act of Congress to give you permission. And that's why I don't think we should do it, because I like daylight time. Well, daylight time is stupid. I think you're stupid. Welcome to the Barely Saved Podcast, where we have the discussions real Christians don't have. Here's your hosts. I'm Caleb. I'm Augustus Gustavo. I'm a shell of a man. I mean, I don't know. Yesterday morning, I loved it because, you know, I work all night and then I go to church. Did you get paid for the extra hour? Of course I did. So I worked an 11-hour shift, got paid for 12. It was great. And what's really nice is when you have to work that 13-hour shift, you get paid for 13. No, you don't. You don't work that 13-hour shift. Oh, really? Yeah, you go home an hour early. So we left at 5.30. So it's not really... You work a 12-hour shift. My favorite used to be staying up to watch my phone go from either... Uh, was it one fifty nine to 3 o'clock or one fifty nine to 1 o'clock? To 1 o'clock. <laughs> that was the funniest thing ever. Mike, I, I, I recognize the humor in this, but when I was growing up, I didn't have a phone to, like, look at and watch. Like, I, I didn't have that luxury until adulthood. I, well, yeah, it's great. I never have to worry about it. None of the clocks in my house as a kid, like, changed themselves. We had to, like, you know, manually go change all of the clocks. My smartwatch changes itself. My phone changes itself. My iPad changes itself. In fact, we, we had to change our stove. And it was only then did I realize that we actually have a non-phone clock in our house. Because we didn't have one in our old apartment. That's right, listeners. Our old apartment the oven didn't have a clock. I mean, my oven doesn't have a clock. So, that's not that weird. Does it have a timer, though? No. What? The microwave does, though. We didn't have a microwave. I had a, we, bought, we brought our own. We got one of those nice little ones the size of, like, an iPad. Alright, so what are you guys doing to celebrate Pi Day? Um, not celebrating Pi Day. Wait, you're not, you're not celebrating Pi Day? No, math is stupid. Did you guys hear him? hear who the, your dog barking or the stupidity of mike saying that he doesn't celebrate pi day because math is stupid also pi look pie is great but on the list of things that i would sell a, create an entire holiday in which i eat a dessert pie is lowest on the list i just you know mike i just don't think you understand how revolutionary pie is i Probably don't. I'll blame the American education system on that one, specifically in my podunk town. You can calculate circle stuff. You can calculate sine stuff. You can calculate, like, how many radians are there. Like, pi pi is a beautiful number. Can you calculate temperature? Yeah, sure. With pi? Yeah. Or how many days are in a week? Like, again, are we... Like, I can look at a pi and see, like, oh, the crust got up to about, you know... 350 degrees on the outside because this is way too dark can you use pi to tell me how long it'll take me to for my body to deteriorate through aging process if i smoke 12 packs a day 
Uh, yeah, I'm sure you could. Mike, I think this is where your uh, American education system is causing you issues. <laughs> um, because that's really pretty much irrelevant to most of the world. But that's the thing that you cared about. So What did I care about? The effects of cigarette smoke. Honestly, as somebody who loves pie day, I hadn't thought about like having pie today yet until I was, was like on this podcast call. And now I'm like So what is the purpose? What what is the purpose of pie? What do you mean? Like as as a mathematical function or as a food? Well, so I know I know the number. Um I think I understand the function of the food. Why is pie so revolutionary? Because it's the it is our best understanding of the ratio of uh, the circumference of a circle to the diameter of it. Oh. That's like the definition of what it is, Matt. I know. We use it to find out all... We literally, if if, if we're using math that involves a circle, you have to use pi. I mean, you don't have to. You can use degrees, but they're hot garbage. I mean, radians are way better than degrees. Yeah, radians are way better. Because you know two pi radians, that's a circle. And you know that the sine of pi is negative one. I used to butt for sine, cosine, and tangent. Oh, man, the sine of pi is zero. Sine of pi halves is one. Cosine of pi is negative one. But, like, say that you wanted to uh, cast sugar in the shape of a sphere, and you needed to know how much sugar you would have to cook. You use pi in that calculation. That's right. What do you mean by casting sugar into a sphere? What does that statement even mean? What do you mean? What does that mean? Did you know that, Mike? Mike, do you know how to how to calculate the volume of a sphere? Is it not pi r squared? The, the volume is four-thirds pi r cubed. And if you take the first derivative of four-thirds pi r cubed, you get four pi r squared, which is the, vol- the uh, surface area of a sphere. Mike, do you know how to... Do you know how to calculate the uh, area of a circle? Uh, that one's pi r squared, isn't it? That is pi r squared. And you take the first derivative of pi r squared, you get 2 pi r, which is a circumference. So there's a beautiful derivative relationship between the various uh, areas and stuff uh, for, cir- for, for spheres and circles. And this is all calculus, which is lovely. Calculus, chef's kiss. As an adult, I'm realizing that math was taught horribly to me because it was just, this just is what it is. But listening to that, I'm like, well, of course. You take the circumference of this or the area of the circle and then you multiply that by four and that's how you get the, uh, you know, area of the sphere or whatever. That makes sense. Instead of just like, it is what it is. Mike, but also we have to like point out the fact that had they also tried to teach you how to find the derivative when you were 14, you also would have probably said, well, that's a bad way to do that. They could have just told me. That's true. So our our calculus teacher always did everything the hard way first. So we use like the actual formula for a derivative every single time. And she's like, all right. We're going to work through it slowly now. And then we worked through it slowly. And she said, all right, now you know how to do it. Here's the shortcut. And we're like, oh, that makes sense. It was great. <laughs> great. Great teacher. See, part of my math experience also was I was trying to be in the a class ahead. And I really probably should have not been a class ahead uh, because I struggle best. Yeah, this, this sounds like a 
less of an issue. As the, the more we talk, the more I'm discovering this is not an issue with how you were taught math, but with how 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 the whole system didn't work for Mike. You, you think it might have been the Mike system? <laughs> well, I, I, hey, it's real. I, I just want to say, like, the system works well for some people. The system works well for some people. Yeah. The issue is that it tends to treat people like a monolith. And if you don't make yourself fit into that system, it does not work well for you. That's true. Considering I remember one time in Algebra 2, I did a math problem like side by side with my teacher. And I swear we did the exact same thing and came out with two different answers. And that was the moment I was like, I don't understand what's happening anymore. Well, this is this is the moment when I realized that Mike doesn't recognize his own mistakes. I don't know what I did wrong. Right, that's my point. I have no idea what I did wrong. That's literally my point, is that you didn't recognize what you did wrong. And Jeffrey's probably took you back to the beginning of the problem every single time. Wait, what? I said, and Jeffrey's probably took you back to the very beginning of the problem every single time, even though it was probably somewhere in the middle, you got lost. Yes. My teacher would have, did, was not very good at pointing out, hey, check out this part of the equation. You seem to have gone a flutter. I would literally interrupt him because I'd ask for help and he'd be like, well, I'm like, no, 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 Jeffries. I did that part. I know what you're about to ask. I did steps one, two, and three. Please tell me here where I went wrong. <laughs> that was my math experience. We are definitely keeping Anna's interjections in the final cut. All right, let me hit our digital music. All right, so earlier I asked if you guys wanted the goat story or the hornet story, and then I went... I swear if you still give me the hornet story. And then I was like, well, this still isn't that fun of a story after I finished reading it, uh, because there wasn't a video associated with it. How could goats not be a fun story? Well, there wasn't a video along with it. They yell, they climb up vertical walls. It was was a story about a specific goat, but then the species of goat is going extinct, and so then it's sad. Um, oh, that is sad. So I was like, we're not, we're not talking about the endangered goat in uh, Canada. What did you, what did you just send me? <laughs> the Yahoo article. The... <laughs> I would like to, I would like to. I uh, want point, it. I would like I to point out it. this sentence, and I think that it's the the most summed up sentence I've ever read in an article. Uh huh. And it's not even a sentence. It's literally a it's a dependent clause in the sentence. Bex is a four-legged robot that's inexplicably modeled after an ibex, and I I, I believe that is true. Inexplicably modeled after an ibex, one hundred percent. Actually, that might be the independent clause, but. That's not important right now. It's the most important sentence, I think, in this article. Just remember, guys, this this is what the robots are going to ride as they overthrow us. They're going to ride a bunch of Bex, Ibex robots into battle. Oh my gosh, it's lights on its neck fly. All right, so uh, what we have here is... uh... A robot goat. I love its shuffle. Takes just these tiny little steps. 
Do you know how hard walking is if you take big steps? It's very difficult. That's all I take. I'm gonna watch it on double speed. And how many times do you fall? <laughs> oh my gosh, I want one. It's got wheels on its knees. Yes, it's... I... I mean, here's the thing. It moved faster when it was on its wheels than than when it was prancing. Of course. So we still... Robotics still can't just... We just still don't understand how to walk robots properly. Depends on what you mean by that. I mean, Boston... Boston does pretty good. Uh, uh, is Boston the dog robot? No, no. Boston... Uh, Boston Dynamics, they make all the robots. Oh, okay. They've made some pretty good walking ones. Um <laughs> I've seen some good in the in the last like five years or so that have like improved. The speed of this thing, it it leaves much to be desired. Now Well, the speed of this thing in this demonstration. Now she's riding it, but it's still on its wheels. Oh, give it a second. It'll start prancing. Oh, is it oh my goodness. Yeah. I would give that robot, as as I just saw it, two stars out of ten. Yeah. Well, the design of it, I got... Mm. Design, 11 out of 10. I love it. No. what? Why an Ibex? Why not an Ibex? Literally. Inex- inexplicably modeled after an Ibex. Literally in the article, Mike. Hey, Ibexes are cool. It's inconceivable. <laughs> because goats are cool. I mean, l- listen, here's the thing. Now now they can say that they have the goat of robots, and nobody can tell them that they're wrong. That's true. They have LeBron James. I believe that goats are cool. I just don't believe that goat is. Uh, I don't like the... I don't like it from its legs down. The head, the body, I love the body. I hate the look of the legs. They're really small. And the feet are really small. And so it just kind of looks really awkward. Have you ever looked at a goat's foot? I have. Their feet are very small so they can stand on the side of mountains. Yeah, which, you know, is great. I'm talking from a robot standpoint. I think they went too much on the inexplicable side of making it look like an Ibex. Like, the real question here, like, sure, he can walk around pretty slow. The question that I have is... How well can he climb trees and mountains like an actual goat? Because if, sure, he might not be good at like walking, he might not be that great at like walking on level ground. But if he can stand on the side of a mountain and chew on a tree that's like growing out of a cliff face, then I, I give this uh, goat much higher points. See, I think he's just pretending to be a, a goat. What do you think he is? It's a robot. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it's pretending to be a goat. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what I don't know what your question was about there, Mike. Like, that seemed like the most obvious answer. Well, I didn't know if he was gonna be like. It looks like it was modeled off this animal, and they like doing goats. All right. Caleb, you actually brought this topic up yesterday, and this got posted this morning, and I just want to read it for you. Oh, which which thing? Is it a, is it a Twitter thing or a Facebook thing? It's a Facebook thing. Is it a public thing that we can uh, put a link to? It is not. <sighs> for shame. Oh, it's, they made that a private group now. It used to be a public group. I say I can't read it. Okay. 
One, Revelation 16, 12 said the sixth angel, which is italicized, poured out his bowl on the great river of the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. Armies will race to Armageddon in Israel. Revelation 16, 6. Okay, can I, can I, can I stop you there for a second? I mean, yeah. Um, to, to make clear, that's irrelevant. Okay, keep going. No, it's but it's not because the next part is: Was it in God's plan for President Joe Biden to remove the powerful military wall of U.S. troops from Afghanistan, so that those kings will come from the east and invade Israel in the future? China, as an integral part in today's news, could be a part of that vast army. Listen, I don't know who the hell this is, but do you know who invades through Afghanistan? Nobody in the history of empires. Nobody. Turns out the Khyber Pass is a son of a... Oh. (laughs) And if you're going to invade even Iran, you're not going through Afghanistan. They have a a freaking ocean that touches them, not including the Caspian Sea. All right. Sorry. Also. Okay, but I'm... Hold on, Caleb. We got more. We're only half... We're not even half... We're not even a quarter of the way into this bad boy. Ezekiel thirty-eight thirty-nine says that armies will invade Israel from the north in the last days. So we're we're east and north, just to let you know. These no- northern nations, whose ancestry are tied to many Eurasian nations, can enter by land, but also through the Mediterranean Sea to invade Israel from the north. Just for the record, dear listener, who may be geograph- geographically challenged, the Mediterranean Sea does not exist on the north of Israel. That's land, because. The Mediterranean Sea is like to the, yeah, it's not exactly a straight line, but it's pretty dang close. How could this happen? Well, don't worry. This person has it figured out. Russia has taken (laughs) control of Georgia, which they did in 2008, and Crimea, 2014, and now they've invaded Ukraine. With control of Ukraine and the Crimean Peninsula, armies can pass from the north can pass not only by land, but ships can pass through the Black Sea and into the Mediterranean Sea and invade Israel as armies come from the north. Turkey has passage control over the Dardanelles and Bosphorus Straits that connect the Black and Mediterranean Seas under the Montreux Convention signed in Switzerland in 1936. They can limit the passage of warships during wartime or if they feel threatened. We'll have to see how that all plays out. Joe Biden and other NATO countries are currently confronting Russia's takeover of Ukraine. Ukraine and Crimea could very well be the pathway of northern nations to advance into Israel for the battle that is sure to come from the north. You know, there's a lot straighter paths from Russia to Israel than through Ukraine. No, 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 Caleb. The only way for them to do it is to to have a boat come from the Black Sea because, like, they don't have any ports on the North Sea or north of that. Just if you're like just looking at a map, they're they're going the wrong direction. <laughs> no, Kayla, we don't look at maps. You you are doing being a heathen. Stop it. Much prayer is needed for this unprovoked attack on Ukraine. I agree. For those wounded and in need of shelter and food, I agree. And for the millions on the run to flee for their lives, I agree. As God unfolds His step by step plan for the end times, I disagree. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen the documentary Left Behind. That sounds pretty pretty accurate. The thing is, hold on. Let's let's look at a map. Cuz Caleb, Caleb, I think you might be right. Now, I don't want to I don't want to say that out loud too loud for sure, but I think You know what, Matt? 
thank you for that. Because I tend to have very cynical takes that I would like to be wrong most of the time. Because it does seem, as as I said a second ago, just throw this out there. Um, Russia has this place called St. Petersburg. And I don't know if you guys have heard of this city. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it exists on the North Sea. To be clear, that's from uh, Frozen, right? I'm sorry, the Baltic Sea. Okay. In, in, the, in the Gulf of Finland. Okay. So what do we care about St. Petersburg for, Matt? Uh, because if you're going to mount a naval assault, uh-huh. it would make sense to mount a naval assault from the place where you can always mount a naval assault, not where you have to worry about going through the straits. No, because see here, it makes sense if you take Kiev, then you go down the river after you already get your, you know, naval fleets there, and then you go to the Black Sea, then you go through Istanbul, then through uh, the Sea of Marmara, through that next strait, and then you go all the way down, you curve around Turkey, and then you hit Israel. And that makes more sense. Because cause here's the thing. I mean, maybe maybe I'm just uh, really, really inept, but it seems as if most of Russia's ships don't exist in the Black Sea. Like, it would make a lot more sense for them to come from, like, St. Petersburg and Vladivostok and... See, but that's where you're forgetting that Russia has subterranean submarines. Oh, yeah. What what you're missing here... I missed that. Matt, uh, to play the cynic, um, they're, they're trying to get control of Ukraine so they can use the Black Sea. Were you not listening? But why? They currently aren't using it with their ships. So that God can unfold his step-by-step plan for the end times, Matt. Weren't you reading? It's the end of the world as we know it. So is Georgia currently occupied by Russia? Georgia is currently in the southeast of the United States. Well, so all the MAGA people. No, um, as <laughs> I remember the Georgian assault. Yeah. Did they just replace the government to, with a more friendly government? Uh, I have no idea. Uh, they just sort of took it over. So Georgia is a country or is it not a country? Uh, I believe Georgia is its own country. It's a, it's a country, but it's currently occupied by the Russian military. So, so it's like a puppet government. It's like if we went into a country in the Middle East and put our troops there and ran the government, but they were still their own country. Okay. So they, they that's we think is what they want to do with Ukraine. Probably. It would be like an empire, but they're still their own country. Right. They don't actually they it's like they want to have the same relationship with Ukraine as they have with the as everyone keeps calling it Belarus. They're calling it Belarus? Yeah, I've heard so many people call it Belarus, and I feel like I might be wrong. It's Belarus, right? I don't know, man. Yeah, it's all Rus. Like Russia, Belarus. And like Kazakhstan, which is its is is a close uh, supporter of Russia. Well, Russia gives them lots of money, so... I support people who give me lots of money. Generally. So, besides the fact that the internal logic of this... Uh, idea like how this would unfold like geopolitically is just not sound um besides that 
I think this is a really bad way um, to, to, to read the Bible. Why would you say that? Everything makes perfect sense. Okay, besides the fact that we just talked about all the ways that it doesn't actually make sense. That, that's fair. That's fair. If that is how we need to read the Bible, like that it's predictive of end times events that are happening now, then the Bible hasn't had meaning for the last 2,000 years and hasn't applied for, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness for the last 2,000 years. That's correct. See, that's where you're wrong, because the Antichrist hasn't come yet, so at least part of Revelation still has to happen. Duh. I don't see no dragon. Any reading of scripture that excludes it from being able to be used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness for the entirety of church history until now is an illegitimate reading of scripture. Ooh, I like it. Unless we don't believe that all scripture is God-breathed, then you can read it however you want. Well, all scripture is God-breathed, except for the stuff I don't like. No. No, I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Yep. It's, it's, uh, it's in third opinions. Is that right after second heresies? Yes. Yep. Yep. It's part one and two. I mean, I don't know what to say, man. The whole thing is ridiculous. And anybody who thinks, anybody who thinks the Bible is a roadmap to to uncover some sort of secret knowledge is a Gnostic heretic. So the reason that I wanted to talk about this is because I saw somebody talking about how in Revelation 6, uh, it talks about how there's inflation because two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. And they were trying to take that from... Uh, Revelation 6, 6, and say that the gas prices that we're currently seeing are a sign of the end times. And I, I thought that that was a dramatically bad take. What would be a melodramatically bad take? That's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. So I'm going to go back to, to what I was saying. Uh, and, and again... The world has seen inflation much worse than what we have right now. Like, you think that our double-digit inflation in the U.S. is bad? Russia's had 30% inflation in the last two weeks. It's worse there. So are they closer to the end times than us? But Caleb, Caleb, they're clearly not Amer- They're not God's chosen people. How about Afghanistan for the last four months? They're not God's chosen people. They're God's forsaken people. <laughs> right? Like, if, if inflation is the sign that the world is ending, it's worse in a whole lot of other places than it is for us. Well, also, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't gas prices get super high like 10 years ago? Somebody somebody did the math. This one, I don't remember where I saw it, but the highest price under the Bush administration was $4.11 in 2008. Um, and adjusted for inflation, that's $5.46. So, yeah. Okay, so I, so I am remembering right. Yeah, yeah. So gas is still not as high as it was when I was, like, learning to drive. And I was still five years off. <laughs> and who knows, when you compare it elsewhere, like, specifically to the, the 70s, it's probably higher than if you adjusted for inflation. Right. And, and our cars, and somebody did the math uh, 
otherwise, because our cars get so much better gas mileage now, the cost of gas per mile is the cheapest it's been in a long time. I mean, I hear that, but I'm also still driving a 2005 Dodge Dakota, so... Well, that's your fault. That's a bad... That's a bad truck, even just in general. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So I I look at the gas prices, and I'm like, oh, no. Gas prices are higher. Yeah, I'm really really glad we went with the hybrid right now. (laughs) And and the thing is, like, if we're just looking at it, you know, just, just generally... The, the problem is that we have a mindset just in general that ex- it, it's very egocentric. Yeah. Think about like that whole post. It's so much like Caleb, you mentioned it's so much about how we're the center of this story. And it's like, what if that's not the answer? Well, if you are the center of the story, what you're saying is that for the entirety of Christian history, people have been reading this wrong. And I think some people actually believe that. And I think they're idiots. Well, I mean... Because when you say that, you're saying that God's spirit hasn't been speaking to them in a valid way for the entirety of church history until all of a sudden I've got it right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an unacceptable understanding. Yeah, and I mean, I think you can even see that stemming into other areas of interpreting the Bible. Um, Especially when we get down, like, I think the... uh, um, One of the... I don't know if... I mean, it's probably still popular, but... The word, like the word homosexual is never in the Bible. Um, like latching onto that phrase specifically to like say that back then they didn't understand it, but now we do. Uh, I mean, I think that's just a very, I don't know, modern is the best and we're the smartest kind of way to look at it. Yeah, it's very anachronistic and it's very, um, it's very elitist in a very negative way. Right, and and it reminds me a lot of colonial colonialism when people came over here and they were like, oh, they're uncivilized, and yet, I mean, we're still learning things about the cultures of the New World uh, that are very complex, like very complex belief systems, very complex rituals, very compl- complex farming systems, irrigation systems. Farming and land management systems that work way better than any of the white people ever uh yeah did like <laughs> yeah it's it's really stunning to, to to look at what's happening and just know that they knew what they were doing it's it's almost like there were people who were being people and making things better for thousands of years and 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 we just acted like they didn't have any knowledge well yeah cuz they were dumb obviously they didn't speak english or Latin, or whatever. Except a lot of them learned English really pretty fast. Or Spanish, or other colonial languages. No, 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 they didn't do it. You can't tell me n- anyone learned Dutch. I don't even believe the Dutch speak Dutch, I'm not gonna lie. Well, that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's just crazy. Um, but I just I just want to go on the record... Uh, to say that I don't think that the things that we're seeing in Russia and Ukraine and in Iran are indicative of the end times. Look, the only way I'm going to believe that uh, the end times are exactly what Revelation says, if I, if I see that dragon just fly, flying around, and then I'll, I'll, I'm happy to take a step back and say, you know, I was wrong. Apparently this is literal. 
uh, and I'll I'll accept it graciously. Um, but I don't think it's Russia because we're gonna need to move on here. But none of these things are indicative of the end times. None of them, unless it's all indicative of the end times. No, because we were already, Mike. I don't know if I don't know if I need to tell you this or not, but we were already living in the end times. No, the end times get kicked off, kick, kicked out by uh, the trumpets. The coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Okay, is, is this really the tweet we're going with? No, no, but I, I do want to mention it. Like, I mean, come on, look at this. Look at it, though. It's gold. So this is the not tweet of the week. Uh, this is the not tweet of the week. Had a bad Monday? You could be this guy. And then it's there's a picture with uh, another tweet or news thing or whatever. NFL, Tom Brady's last touchdown ball sells for $518,000 at auction right before he announces NFL comeback. <laughs> It's pretty rough, guys. I don't think it's that rough. I think it's great. But but it's not his last touchdown ball anymore. I would say it went from worth that much money to worth absolutely jack shit. No. That football will not lose that value. It'll still be worth that much. That's how auctions work. Now it's got that valuation. Nobody will pay it for it, though. It, it does have that valuation. You are correct. He can get that insured probably still for at least three or four hundred thousand dollars for sure and can get back most of that cost after a small fire as soon as it gets punctured and yeah fires happen do any of my neighbors have a pit bull that wants to play with a ball i'm not saying you should commit insurance fraud <laughs> like i i anybody that can pay half a million dollars for a football i do not feel bad for them when it loses value okay mike are you ready for this it, on it, hold on. The, it could go an even different way. This could still be his last touchdown ball, and that would be even funnier. That would make it worth so much more money. That would make it worth so much more. <laughs> That's what we need to hope for this poor schmuck. That it is indeed his last touchdown ball. All right, what's a real tweet, Matt? Here comes the tweet. Do-do-do-do. Tom Buck tweets a quote from Fadi Bakum that says, Here is what I found out about those who complain about tone. The tone they don't like is, quote, masculine, unquote. They don't like strong, direct, and clear communication. Okay. Now, being a person on the internet, someone on this podcast who shall remain nameless for now, quote tweeted this and said bitch please (laughs) sounds like strong direct and clear communication to me it does that's far too that might be far too feminine though because you did say bitch which is a female dog that's fair so I'm not sure that this was masculine maybe not but it was strong direct and clear it was technically masculine communication that's true because a masculine was communicating it According to this quote, it doesn't matter if the content is feminine. It's the tone 
that has to be strong, direct, and clear communication. In this uh, unknown person who quote tweeted, please, it was strong, direct, and clear. And there was more to it. There was more clarity involved in the fact that like, usually people who are saying these things don't can't handle the, the criticism, right? Like, it's not that people can't handle strong, direct, and clear communication. It's that the problem, the problem is always when the person who's giving strong, direct, and clear communication can't handle strong, direct, and clear communication. That's my favorite. Right? Like, if you, if you give it and you can handle it, people respect you. But if you give it but can't handle it, that's a problem. So, of course, uh, a couple couple days. I, I, I since it was me, I was the one who tweeted it, just in case you weren't aware. Yeah, we, we all knew. I'm sure we were all confused. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Asking for a friend. Um, I have since deleted the tweet, so you uh, you can't find it unless you know how to look in the, the underbelly of the internet. He realized that this is, this is an individual, and he's quoting a guy, and sometimes you shouldn't be that mean to somebody who's just an idiot. Now, granted, Tom Buck does drive me up a wall. I have no idea who Tom Buck is. He's a husband, father, pastor of FBC Lindale, director of G3 Expository Workshops, and the proud recipient of the SBC Voices Seal of Disapproval. I'm pretty sure that the thing I could offend him most by saying anything is the phrase, I'm not sure I know who Tom Buck is. Okay, so all of that being said, okay, <laughs> I found out yesterday that after I said, please, and quote tweeted this, Mike, you're not going to believe this. Wait, wait, Mike, guess what happened? Did you get blocked? I got blocked. By Tom or Vadi? By Tom, because of my strong, direct, and clear communication. No, no, it was because you called him a bitch. It was strong, direct, and clear communication. The f- Technically, the phrase, please, does not always uh, tie itself to an individual. It's, it's just a phrase. It's bitch, please. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go out on a... And say, no, you, you totally did. No, I mean, look, I, I didn't, but I understand that he might have taken it that way. Uh-huh. But also, it was strong, direct, and clear communication. Um, and and my t- it wasn't about my tone that he didn't like what I said. Or maybe it was about my tone. I don't know. Because I, I disagreed with it, but he didn't like the way I disagreed with it. Yeah, he didn't like your tone. Yeah, you're right. So then he tweeted this a little bit later. Caleb, you should read this one. <sighs> okay. This is like a multi-part affair. I love this. Nothing triggers the woke and the weak in the SBC more than to talk about the need for strong masculinity. Again, he blocked me. <laughs> so... How does it feel knowing that you are not the strong masculine figure that uh, the SBC needs? Well, he's not in the SBC, so... Well, that's fine. He doesn't have to be, because he, he's not what they need. I'm not the strong masculine figure. Listen, I, it makes me feel really good about my life. <laughs> just feeling like all the choices are just coming together. I mean, I'm definitely not the strong masculine type. I am, I am a single guy that, you know what? Purple's my favorite color, and I have no issue with that, because it's a fantastic color, which is why Lent is one of my favorite seasons, because everything in the church is purple. So... I, I know for a fact that I'm not the strong masculine type that they're looking for. The thing is, 
I, I don't think that we need to talk about a need for strong masculinity. But we, but we do. We have to talk about strong masculinity because otherwise, what are we? What, what kind of masculinity will we have? You know what I think we should talk about? It'll be effeminate. No, no. You know what I think that we should be talking about the need for? What's that? The fruit of the spirit. Mm, I don't know. So Sounds like you're being effeminate. You're saying the fruit of the spirit? As a man, I don't I like fruit. If it was the meat of the spirit, I might be here for it. But I, I want it to be, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't give a fuck how masculine you are if you're not kind. Well, masculinity is kind. I was I was kind of mean. <laughs> Matt, Caleb didn't care about that moment, Matt. But now that moment, Matt, is over. You're a new Matt now, so it's okay. Oh, okay. And I, and to be perfectly clear, I, I absolutely did delete it. Yeah. Because I felt like, you know, I looked at it and I said, you know what? It was probably a little, I probably shouldn't have tweeted it. I was frustrated, you know, all those things. But like, there's still something to the idea that I got blocked for language that he didn't like. Yes. And that, that in and of itself says so much about like what, what's happening. It, it I, I just feel like. There's a certain amount of if I want to hear it, I won't, I won't block it. But if I don't want to hear it, then I'm just gonna block it because that's easier. That's literally the height of autonomy and how the social internet works. And I, I just, it, you know what? And the thing is, there's also a place to block people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like harassment for sure. If somebody keeps doing these things. 100%. Right, like what Mike was doing to that other guy. Going on, like, multiple qu- tweets in the same day. I think I tweeted twice. Yeah. That's multiple. Okay. By definition. At that point, that's kind of harassment. Two is a multiple of two. Especially if the guy had already blocked you on Facebook and then you went on his Twitter. That was math I could follow. I didn't intend to find his Twitter. It fell into my lap. <laughs> I blame one of you guys. I think one of you guys sent me a tweet. How dare you? I mean, first off, I do know for a fact that one of us sent you a tweet. <laughs> but just because somebody <laughs> sends you a tweet and you find somebody's Twitter and they're saying stupid things, that doesn't... And you politely say they're wrong. Just because somebody's being an idiot doesn't mean we need to tell them that they're being an idiot every time. I don't believe I said, hey... You're an idiot. Oh no! When you come on two, when you come on more than one tweet of theirs, tell them that they're wrong. <laughs> that's essentially what you're saying. Yes, that was a poor judgment call. And I'm not saying that you were wrong. I've matured. <laughs> Even if you are correct, which you more than likely were in this instance. <laughs> oh, he was. I saw the tweets that he was blocked for. But his, you know what? Your tone was strong, direct, and clear, <laughs> and that is rarely what people want. <laughs> People oh, don't man. like strong, direct, and clear communication. But it's not because that language is masculine. It's because that language is being an asshole. It's because it makes them feel bad about their positions. And, and I'm just at this place where it's like, you know what? If something's not kind to say, I'm, I'm just not going to say it. 
And that doesn't mean that I won't say things that make people really mad at me, because sometimes making them really pissed off is the kindest thing you can do for them. That was a beautiful statement. But also, if they're not going to listen, it's not kind for me to make a correction, because they're already not going to listen. Which is why I'm really bad at the social internet, to be honest. It's because I just go, yeah, no, people, this is, this is irrelevant. This isn't going to encourage somebody. This isn't... It's not kind for me to say this. Like, yeah, sure, I can get mobs of people to like what I say, but that's not bringing a conversation forward, so I just leave it alone. Isn't that the messages version of if I'm a clanging gong, but I have no love? I'm nothing. If I get a million retweets, but have no love, I am nothing more. I just feel like we just need to be more merciful with people online and in real life. And... Twitter literally discourages that because mercy doesn't get likes. True. And also, we aren't merciful to uh, things we can't see. I swear if you say the economy. It's always the economy. How dare you accuse me of talking about the economy? Look, if you start talking about the economy, I'm just going to pull up the Lutheran handbook and I'm just going to start reading from the Lutheran handbook. I've literally sent the story days ago. It's always the economy. Look, it's the Lutheran handbook. I have it. It tells me how to properly burn people at the stakes. No, it doesn't. Oh, you want to play? Mm, okay, it does have a guide. It's right there. You want to use fast burning dry wood, not slow burning green. <laughs> it's not even just a guide, Caleb. This is Ikea level instructions. <laughs> Yeah, fair, fair point, fair point. <laughs> and it, and it, that is perfect <laughs> It also tells you to wear shorts and a tank top underneath your robe when you're an acolyte so that in the summer when it gets really hot, you don't sweat in your robe. Yeah. Which, that's just some good practical knowledge. Like, it doesn't, but you have to say it because otherwise people aren't going to wear shorts. It's very true, and those robes get hot. It's a Lutheran problem. That is not just a Lutheran problem. That's a liturgical problem, Matt. No, I mean the needing to, I mean the needing to write it down, because otherwise they won't know. <laughs> well, I don't know if you're aware of the history of Lutherans, but we come from a man who wrote 98 freaking things down. 95 things down. There we go. Thank you for fixing that, because I was about to say, like, how good of a Lutheran are we talking to here? All right, so... Uh, yes, I want to talk about the economy, but it's not, it's the, the economy is not the reason I want to talk about it. <laughs> Mike, I want you to find me a news story that isn't about the economy. Easy. Ryan Coogler getting arrested for... For what? K keep going. You're gonna, you're gonna stop right there? Let's keep going, Mike. Mike, don't, no, just keep going. I, I seem to have forgotten the news story. <laughs> See, seems to have slipped my mind so when you want to say we're not gonna like no we're gonna talk about the economy i'm i'm going to how do you define economy is it anything that pertains to deal, dealing with money caleb i can't read this article which one the new york times one yeah i can't read the new york times one either that's fine that's not really the important one i mean it is the important one because that's like the current news but what's an earmark oh are we bringing earmarks back Yes, earmarks are back, Matt. Oh, thank God. Wait, what's an earmark? Oh, it means legislation might actually pass. Oh, yes, Matt, that is exactly what we're talking about. Earmarks are back as Congress was finally able to pass a budget. 
Yeah, baby. Back in the day. This is back in the day prior to 2008. All right, keep going. Okay. So what we would do is for spending bills, we would do this thing called earmarks. So a bill would get passed. And let's say that you, the senator from, where are you from? Um, Washington. Yeah, we'll say Washington. So the senator from Washington, you know that your constituents need some money to fix the Snoqualmie Pass, right? And it's not going to right. take a lot of money. It just we just need a, a few dollars. You just you just need a couple million dollars to fix the pass, so that way you know it's safe. And it it doesn't need to be its own bill, right? It just we just need to throw it onto something else, right? So we can throw it on to we can throw it on to a defense spending bill. We can throw it because obviously it's defense spending, right? Being able to get over the Snoqualmie Pass and being able to get to the training grounds in in Eastern Washington, okay, it's incredibly important for Jay Blam, right? Uh, we could we could put it through as a tourism bill, or as a part of a tourism bill, like for instance, like yeah, you know, we want people to be able to get. We could put it in a transportation bill because we want people to be able to people to be able to get across. We can put it in so many different bills and even halfway justify it. Yep. So as long as you can halfway justify, you could just. You don't even have to. You don't even have to have for earmarks. Previously, you didn't have to halfway justify it. But like politically speaking, you might have to halfway justify it. Like you, you could put it in an ag bill, right? And you could halfway justify it by saying, "Yeah, agriculture goes over the snow quality pass, right?" And I'm just using that as one simple example. It could be for anything. And again, you don't have to tie it back, but generally you did just to make it more palatable. Is it specifically two budgets? Yes. That's the spending bill. You can put it in other stuff, but it's generally in spending bills. It's generally in spending bills because it's literally, we're going to give money to this thing in this state. Okay. So it's not like, uh, like I want to, this is going to be a wild, crazy example. Want to ban yellow number two pencils. So I'm going to throw it into this gun control bill. Right. That wouldn't be an earmark. No, no. Earmarks. Okay. That's fair. Now, if you put, uh, I want a million dollars for yellow number two pencils in uh, a gun reform bill, that would be an earmark. Okay, so as long as it has a, a, a monetary value attached to it. Okay. Right, so an earmark is specifically an allocation of funds for a specific, for, for a specific purpose inside of a congressperson's um, district. And the reason you do it is, mo- there's so many reasons, but one of the main ones is, now you can say to your constituency... Look what I have accomplished. I got this bridge oh. fixed. I got this pass fixed. And crazy thing, it fixes bridges and passes. And more importantly, you can take a senator who would say, I'm not going to vote for this. And then if you don't oh. vote for it, you can say, this senator voted against fixing bridges in your district. Do you really want to keep him here? It greases the wheels of democracy. And so the reason we've had a gridlock in the Senate since 2008 is because in 2008, John McCain, as he was running for president, campaigned vigorously against earmarks as excessive government spending. And they're not. And then we had the whole Tea Party movement. You remember the Tea Party movement? Um, 
that whole thing was one of the biggest pushes was what they called fiscal conservatism. Right. Which pushed against excessive government spending and put tacking things onto bills that don't matter, going against earmarks. And so for the past really over a decade, we haven't had earmarks. And in Congress, we've had multiple government shutdowns under multiple presidents because we can't come to an agreement about what to spend, in large part because we haven't been able to get Congress people to get the things that are important to their districts in the bills. Right. And so if you're the congressman, if you're the congressman from Missouri, and this is all federal spending, which is all well and good, but we can't fund uh, levies on the Mississippi River that that are going bad and we're going to end up with floods in St. Louis, you don't care. You'll say, no, I will shut this legislation down because we're going to have a flood if we don't pass this part of the spending bill. And rather than simply be able to say, oh yeah, well, you can put a couple million dollars for that and we, we can make that happen, get the army out there, fix it. Uh, no, you can't do it earmark now. But now, as of this year, earmarks are back. So it it also makes it so that we don't have to get everything into like the main budget bill right we don't have to have an omnibus bill right which i mean you'll still have omnibus bills to a certain point like those those have always happened but it won't have to be to the same extent i say it won't have to include everyone's things that they are trying to accomplish yeah and the the problem the the problem with the fiscal conservatism movement is i to an extent yeah we do need to fight government waste there are points in which that happens but this wasn't it the the crazy thing is we we got rid of earmarks and government quote pork barrel spending right we got rid of that and then government spending overall increased the deficit increased and government became less efficient more government shutdowns which don't actually reduce the cost of government because you still have to pay all your public sector employees back pay uh, and just makes the whole system less efficient well, that's because Barack Obama was a terrible president. No, because we had government shutdowns under Trump, if you don't remember. Yeah, but those were the Dems' faults. The royal Republicans were trying to stop it. <laughs> I'm just it's not even worth responding to. Uh, earmarks are back. and That's, that's exciting. We, we passed a budget. The Senate, the Senate passed a budget... 68 to 31. How many days before it was due? Uh, I don't know how much before it was due, uh, but it was less than two days after it passed in the House. When's the last time the Senate passed a budget, Caleb? Now, part of it is like, they're like, okay, you know what? The Ukraine stuff's happening on the world stage. We need to have our shit together. Like, that's part of it. But also the fact that we are able to get that many Republicans on board with the budget is partly because... We were able to give them the things that they needed for their jurisdictions. Like we wouldn't, we wouldn't have needed a trillion dollar infrastructure bill if we had had earmarks for the last decade. We would have needed, you know, a five hundred billion dollar infrastructure bill because we would have already spent that money in a more efficient way. Wow! Think about the way the infrastructure has crumbled in the last ten years, and like you, that's why, that's why Trump every third week was it was infrastructure week. Um, if you think I'm joking, you should go look up the infrastructure week planning. And to be clear, 
like this is not a Republican Democrat issue, right? Like Barack Obama wanted to bring earmarks back while he was a president. Donald Trump pushed to bring earmarks back in 2018 because they made government less efficient not having earmarks. Right. And it's just now we finally have rules of Congress. Like there's some restrictions on earmarks now. Um, like they're not back as as freely as they were before. Uh, they're now limited to 1% of the budget of any given bill. Um, so only 1% can be um, earmarks. Earmarks. Which probably isn't a bad number. No, I think it's a re- I think I think they're reasonable restrictions. And that's the thing is no one no one's opposed to the restrictions on earmarks. I don't think it's it's the the blanket no earmarks policy that is just so blatantly hurtful, right? To how government operates, and it's just it, it's frustrating. And I'm I'm glad this is a this is a great news story, and I'm a hundred percent glad that uh, they're back. Yeah, earmarks are back. Budgets can be passed. Now, will the will because the lack of earmarks is part of, I think, and I can make the case, but it'd take a lot longer to do that here, that that's part of what's led to such divisiveness is because every bill has become all for me and not for thee, for both Republicans and Democrats. And there's never, never a reason to compromise if you can't get something for yourself. And that's part of the polarization of national level politics. And... I don't know that this will fix it, but had we had earmarks, I think that that divide would have been slower. HR 3877 uh, was a the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2019. So that one did pass. We, uh, we actually had a budget in 2019. We did have a budget in 2019. Man, good for us. But when did it pass? Uh, August 1st, 2019. And the next day it was passed by the Senate. Yeah. And what was going on in 2019? Nothing yet. No, there's always something. 2019? Uh, wouldn't that have been election prep? Yeah, they wanted the budget passed so that way they weren't fighting over it during an election year. They didn't want a budget battle in the middle of running for re-elections. Offices? That makes sense. If you're a, if you're a seated senator or somebody, that is a bad thing. Or the president. Yeah. It's remarkable how much things can actually get done when the president really wants them to get done. Mm-hmm. And the, so I'm, I'm really, like I said, I, you might not hear my excitement, but I am excited. This is a good thing. Yeah. When I, when I saw that earmarks are coming back um, a few weeks ago, even before the Ukraine invasion, I was like, this is exciting and we need to talk about it. But then there kept being other news stories that were like, oh, no, we got to talk about that before we talk about earmarks. The earmark story is perennial. We can we can always come back to that, but then we passed a budget this week. Dave Dave Ramsey would be proud of us. I don't know how proud he would be because that's still a lot of deficit spending. Um, yeah, but Dave Ramsey also doesn't really understand economics sometimes because deficit spending is perfectly fine. No, it's not. If you don't have cash, you shouldn't buy it. I'm firmly in the camp that America's debt is too high. I'm not there yet. It needs to be a little lower. But, but no, let me rephrase that. The debt is not too high. Deficit spending probably should come down a little bit. I think that we should get back to a point where we basically have no deficit at this point. No. Deficit spending is good because um, if you're running a deficit, your debt is less 
than inflation. And that's a good thing. Your interest rate on the debt is less than inflate or even less than growth. And if your interest rate is, if the interest rate on your debt is less than growth, you are making money. Yes. So as long as it, as long as that stays the same, but our interest isn't less than, isn't less than growth. Well, I think it is, isn't it? What's our GDP growth? I think it's right at the same rate right now. Which is not normal. Normally it is higher. We had a, a hard year. I don't know if you're aware of that, Caleb. Right. I'm, oh, I'm aware that we've had a hard year, but I think that we, we, we have, a, that's a little higher than I'd like to see it. I like us to be back around, you know. 14%. Damn. GDP? I, go- I Googled it. Yeah. Current dollar GDP increased 14.3% at an annual rate or. Is that adjusted for inflation? Uh, I don't know. It's the first thing that Google told me. Okay, well, that's that's pretty good. And our rate is down around 1%. And that's from BEA.gov. But you also have to factor in 12% inflation. So GDP growth, real GDP growth is only going to be around 2% on that. And that's still more than the, uh, you're still making money. But we're at a point where we're not making much money. Well, and the, but the problem is, okay, I'll give you that. But the problem is right now, when when we should be, when you're when you're paying when you're paying one percent on, you know, fourteen trillion dollars. Sure, but we should be in deficit spending right now because, well, that's debatable. But I I think that we should not be in deficit spending because we're not at war. Should I be personally deficit spending? No, but you're not the federal government. The federal government should be paying down some of that debt so that way we can ramp up spending when we need to. What if we just sold weapons to both sides also yes caleb the problem is that during the bush administration we had tax cuts during uh boom years and we also during the trump administration has tax cuts when we should have increased taxes so that i mean the the problem is we're cutting taxes when we should be raising them and so we have bad fiscal policy from the top um that's really the problem well no that's good because taxation is theft and abuse and violent so mike generally speaking War is very expensive. What is it good for? Right? So you take on debt whenever you go to war. But because you have to take on debt whenever you go to war, you want to raise taxes during peacetime to pay for that war once it comes. Like a 90% tax rate after World War II? Right. On the top bracket? Or like a 80% or 70% tax after uh, Vietnam? That's what we should be doing. Right now, we should have higher taxes, but... Here we are. But taxation is theft. But we don't. We have super low taxes. But it isn't theft. Because... It, it is theft, because I earned that money. But here's the thing, Mike. You didn't. I, I did. I worked the job. I made the money. It should all be mine. Okay. And I should spend it how I see fit. Okay. All right. Mike, you know what? If you work the job and you made the money, you know what? We'll go with it. But what if you only owned the company and didn't work the job? Hmm. I should still keep all the money. Because that's who we're talking about being in those top tax brackets. Is these aren't people who are working the job and making the money. These are the people who are have the money accumulating profits. See, I think... They just got the American dream, and the system works, and we should just let it trickle down. The system still works with a tax rate of 70%. No. Actually, it works better. 
You keep all of your money at a lower tax rate, and then your money on the additional tax rate goes up. I would like to point out where this actually would make a, a, a huge impact right now. So, Mike, I know you're being silly, but um, <laughs> well, like I, I want to for our listeners who who aren't aware of what's going on, um, just in general, uh, I'm gonna find a link real quick to talk about this. Um, I love what this news story has turned. Into. No, well, I mean, and even like I still don't fully understand uh, not only our tax history because I didn't know about the eighty uh, percent tax. Uh, increase ninety percent tax increases after I did, I had no idea that was even a thing, right? That's up there. So that's the top rate again. That's if you're making over, you have to be making more. I think it was like five hundred thousand dollars. Maybe it might have been lower than that, but like five hundred thousand dollars now. That's when you started paying that ninety percent rate because anyone who makes over that, right? Because anyone who makes over that doesn't need that money, right? You're not you're not taxed on that on the initial income, right? Like. You're less than five hundred thousand. You're still paying whatever the lower rate is, and then when you go in that higher tax bracket, any additional income becomes taxed at the really high rate. Right. So it's not a, and and like that's what I think generally most people don't understand is it's not like all like right. It's not all of the money gets taxed at that specific tax rate. Right. The first five hundred thousand dollars is taxed at a lower rate, and then the next is taxed at the next rate, and so on and so forth. And I. Yeah, yeah, it's a progressive tax rate. Yep. I don't think people understand that. No, no, they really don't. Because they hear 70%, 90%, and they think, that's what I'm going to be at tax. No, no, you're not. Right. Take take my paycheck, times it by 70%. That's what the rich want you to hear. Because if you think, all right, now I'd like to go to the next step. So this is where it's really actually hitting America, and we need to do something about this now before this all goes to shit, but we're not going to. So. Oh. Uh... The single family home is being bought up by Wall Street. Of course. Cons- c- more than it ever has before. Not not made, but bought up because it's now a place where they can get money. So, earlier this year, managed by Invesco Real Estate, one of the world's largest property investors. Oh, sorry, funds managed by this this uh mm-hmm. property investor gave Mind, which is Mind Property Management, 5 billion dollars to buy 20,000 homes in the United States in the next three years on behalf of pension funds. Yes. Wow. So what we're not doing is taxing these people enough on the earnings of their homes. Because if we were taxing them enough, this wouldn't be profitable. But this is profitable right now. And they're eating up the home market. Now, I'm a beneficiary. Right, my house has increased a shit ton of money in the three and a half years since I've owned it. I've made fifty thousand dollars from doing nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But it also is a bad thing because home ownership is super low right now, and the government is not doing the correct thing. These, this is the reason we have a government because capitalism in its pure form leads to ruin because. The people who are rich get richer. You have to have something. The market doesn't fix itself. No matter what, <laughs> no matter what laissez-faire economists say. No, no, it does. They they told me. Right. They they told us. They lied to you. You have to have a a market correction. And this is a place where something needs to happen and something needs to happen soon, or else it's going to be there's gonna be another bubble. We're going to have another housing bubble. Are going to. We have one. I'm watching it grow. 
well, the bubble is the bubble is going to pop here soon. And then it's going to pop, and then I'm going to be able to afford a house. <laughs> oh, we have at least another two years before the bubble's going to pop, Matt. Let's make all the money you can and then get out. So you, I need to sell, right? So, Caleb, as soon as the bubble starts to pop, that's when I need to sell. I think you've probably got another year, and then you might want to sell your house. <laughs> and then I need to buy something right after the bubble pops, take the money that I've put in a bank account, and then buy something afterwards. The problem, and that's a great, it's a great strategy. The problem is no one knows when that's going to happen. It's like a... So is this this where we make our predictions? Is this where we make our predictions and then we can come back to them later when we think the bubble's going to pop? Well, and then Caleb, but the problem problem with this idea of the bubble popping, which, yes, it's going to. They're going to sell all these homes at some point because we've had a great economy for the last 14 years. It just can't keep going. We've kind of had a great economy. Well, we've had a we've had a little dip, but we've had one recession. The numbers have been great. Correct. Yeah, I'll give you that. That doesn't mean because we invented these metrics after the Great Depression to measure how good the economy is doing, and so because we've invented these metrics, we now say, "Oh, the economy is doing good because government policy has been to make these metrics the best possible." But quality of life has not improved substantially, and so it's hard for me to say the economy is better. No, the numbers that we measure are better. But wealth isn't any greater. Household wealth has actually declined. So it's hard for me to say that the economy's actually done good. We've just optimized for a set of metrics that don't matter. I agree with you. So, but more the moral of the story is, if we do the right thing and we step in appropriately, this will not be an issue. I still think that you've got till 2024 before you're going to see a collapse in the housing market. So that's that's my prediction. But it's just set up to do so. And and this is the problem with Wall Street. They're betting on it not doing that. But housing prices... Not necessarily. I, I'm going to disagree. They're betting on it not doing it yet. You think they're betting on it happening? And they're just going to sell off right before? I think they're going to try. And I think that they're stubborn enough to think it'll work. Yeah. It worked the last time. They all made it out just fine in 2008. The government bailed them out. So do we need to eat the rich or? No, we don't need to eat the rich. We need to. No, we need to make them. We need to l- let them eat cake. Oh, we, we tax them. We don't eat them. That's cannibalism. But taxation is theft, Caleb. You know, the problem with I just want to say real quick and in, in truthfulness to the people who say taxation is theft. The problem is anyone who says taxation is theft then is easy, is stealing from the United States because they're using the currency, the goods, the infrastructure of the United States without giving anything back. And that's stealing. So anyone who thinks that taxation is theft is okay with theft themselves. Mm, I, I'm going to disagree. You can, you can think that taxation is theft, but if you don't pay your taxes, that's theft. That's fair. You can think that, but as long as you're still paying your taxes, that's not theft. The people who are stealing are the people who are making the millions of dollars and not paying taxes on them. Mm, that's true, too. That That is that is the theft. Got a bank account in Mexico. Whoa. Do you, know, do you know that song that's from, Caleb? Doesn't matter. So, Mike. Do you know Mike? Is that a Weird Al? I know that you don't want to talk about the economy ever. I don't mind. I don't. This was fun. <laughs> this is literally talking about the economy. That's all we did. Yeah, but it's like light economy. 
What did you think talking about the economy would be? I don't know, I think more math, more numbers, more percentages. People aren't gonna understand the math and percentages. And even if I geek out looking at GDP numbers, I'm not gonna come on here and talk about those things because... Did you just call our audience dumb? Uh, I did not call them dumb. Listeners, I apologize for, on behalf of Caleb for the insinuation that you all would not understand the economy. I didn't say they wouldn't understand the economy. But those are very difficult things to... I did not say that. I didn't even insinuate that. But that would be incredibly boring. I said you insinuated. Are you telling me that Matt doesn't listen to a, a economy podcast? I mean, he does. I think he listens to Planet Money. Matt, do you listen to Planet Money? Uh, sometimes. Not on the regular. Yeah. It's not an issue of, of the podcast, but like, you're not gonna, you're not gonna come up here and compare our numbers to the numbers that they were in the 1960s and say, well, what's similar? What's different? What's like, no, people, that's not what you're gonna do. That would be crazy. White man is our president. What's different? Jimi Hendrix is dead. Mm. Okay. He's not wrong. Is there, I think there's a correlation between that. The world did take a turn when Jimi Hendrix died. It's true. Okay. Think about all the major world events, right? Jimi Hendrix dies and everything changes. It's true. Why do I have already 59 seconds on this? What's his, what's his name? What's his name? What's the Nirvana guy? Kurt Cobain. Cobain dies right when Clinton gets elected. Amy Wine, Amy Winehouse dies. Mm. Bad things happen. I, I just don't think that the world is changing that fast because of these things. And, and they're all in the 27 club, so it is a conspiracy. Yep. See, Caleb? The, the real weird thing. What the heck did you just send me? The real weird thing is not how fast the world is changing now, but at how still it stayed during the middle of the 20th century. Caleb, I can't hear you over whatever I'm watching. Oh my gosh. Why would you send that? A giant... A- a giant ska banner just flew across the screen. On a mission trip to Mexico. Yeah, but no, I, I, I was aware. I knew what you were referencing. I just wasn't going to, like... I, I wasn't going to go there. But there's a, it's linked in the show notes, listeners, if you want to suffer. Um, and just a little bit of purgatory before you die. What on earth is this? <laughs> what am I watching? I feel like greatness. He can't even read the title. So you're watching greatness. All right. Anything else you guys want to say before we end the podcast? All right. Anything else that you want to say besides that talking about the economy isn't the worst thing we can do in the new segment? Uh, how about non-taxation is theft? I don't want to say that. I mostly, the truth is, the truth is, Mike, most things are theft. Not Jesus. Jesus, Jesus stole my heart. Jesus comes literally like a thief in the night. <laughs> yeah, but that's the good thief because he's Jesus. I am, I am the good thief. I don't even know, like, can you explain to me? He is the good criminal eating corn or wheat grains on the Sabbath. He is the good criminal. Can, can you no. explain to me, like... No, there is, there is no explanation. Innocent on the cross. The good criminal. I need to like understand this idea of he is the good thief. No, I don't think you get anything. Like, I, I need I need an expansion of this. No, I think that's, if you don't. Can somebody write like a 110 page, page self-published book about Jesus is the good thief? I don't I feel like that would be, I, I feel like that's a book that somebody should write. 
Jesus is the good thief. I think you should go ahead and do that. Thanks for listening to the Barely Saved Podcast. Make sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes, links, and show notes, and merch at barelysavedpodcast.com. You know what's really funny about all these? Yes. All right, get a mask. Tony Shashri's on top. Flip the chickens over. Tony Shashri's on on the other side. How many shakes? Uh, you want it to be. You want it to look good, covered, not like covered. Not but like, I don't want like an inch. But I like put it on the little on the the circles, and then make sure it's just there's a good coat like a, a light dusting. Makes sense. And then flip them over and light dust the other side. Like the masks won't hang on any of it. Yep, and then set the oven to 250. Where are the masks? I don't know. Good luck. I just have to... All right, so there's two things in that little conversation before <laughs> we get back to the end times that I love. First off, it's the fact that we now have masks, like, as a regular practice, that we can just be like, yeah, we're going to put on a mask to do this. Yes. <laughs> like, when I'm mowing yep. the lawn, I put on a mask because I don't want to breathe in all of the, like dust and and grass material and like now we're cooking it's like i'm just gonna put on a mask so i don't like i love that the second thing i'm sure my my roommates a couple years ago when i used a habanero uh seasoning for chicken and uh set it all on fire would have really appreciated some masks they they probably would have appreciated second thing second thing they, they said two things uh I love how fast the Van Winkle household has lost track of where the masks are just a couple weeks into not having to wear them everywhere they go. The CDC said, nope. The Van Winkle household said, I follow the CDC. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Sorry. Okay. Back um, okay. to the end, end times. End times.